Good evening, everybody, or hello if you're listening to this afterwards. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. I am Cammy Black. Um, joining me this evening, we've got Johnny McGinty. Hello, Johnny. Hello, how are we doing? Good evening. And from Stevens Rugby Club, we've got Sam Abdullah. Hello, Sam. How are you, folks? Um, I'm going to start with a, a disclaimer, I guess, of sorts. And by saying that, that we don't want to be here, and that's that it's not that we don't want to be doing the podcast, but we don't want to be where we are in terms of the content we're providing tonight. Because what we'd want to be doing as a podcast about Scottish rugby is talking about the excitement around the Six Nations. However, um, over the past two weeks, there's been a significant amount of news and policy changes coming out about Scottish rugby and we didn't do a podcast last week because we wanted to take a bit of time to think about how to deal with that. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight for the main podcast. Uh, so if that is not for you, that's fine. There are lots of other podcasts out there that will be talking about the Six Nations. We will get into it a little bit later on. We'll get into it in our Patreon podcast. But if that's not for you, that's fine. Please don't feel the need to write to us and tell us, though, because we're just not interested, quite frankly. So, um, the two big stop them. Yeah, that will stop them because I've said that (laughs) now, Johnny. You're right. That will stop the angry letters and the one star reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Um, So, tonight, there's two things we need to talk about. Uh, One, we want to talk about the SRU's new gender participation policy which um, is just some words they've used to get around the fact they've, they've banned transgender women from partaking in contact sport uh, in, in women's rugby. Uh, there's also the news that came out of Liberton Women's Rugby. Liberton Rugby Club have disbanded their women's team and um, the women from Liberton Rugby Club are obviously very upset by that and a lot has come out about how, the way they've been treated that has then sparked a wider debate about how women are treated in general in Scottish rugby. So we want to talk about that. And Craig Manson will be joining us later uh, to share some of his experiences. Then we have some further news on uh, the Siobhan Cattigan issue uh, with Siobhan Cattigan, who um, most people listening to the podcast will know is an uh, international player for Scotland women who sadly passed away um, after allegations of, um, I guess, mistreatment. Um, and um, possible mistreatment by those who are supposed to be looking after her. And there's still a number of questions unanswered. So there is a thread there, I think, that we can follow. Um, and then at the end, we, we will do a little bit of chat about the Calcutta Cup. But, but for the main part of the podcast, that's what we'll be focusing on. Sam, welcome back again. I, you know, we've, we've had you on the podcast before to talk about uh, the issue of transgender women in rugby after the um, RFU uh, implemented their ban. Um, just for those that kind of maybe didn't catch that podcast or the first time kind of listening, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of Thebans Rugby Club and what what you guys do? Yeah, yeah. Um, firstly, thanks for for having me on again. Good to know that I uh, I didn't talk enough mints last time that you never wanted me to have a, come on again. Um, so yeah, I'm the I'm the chair and I'm a, I'm also the the hooker for the Caledonian Thebans. We are Edinburgh's inclusive. Uh, rugby team. So we primarily provide a space for LGBT plus people and their straight allies to play, support, um, follow rugby. Uh, we've been going for twin, 20 years, yeah, we turned 20 um, and celebrated that this year. The reason I can't quite remember if it was 20 is because I celebrated it really, really well. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so so that's that's why we exist. Uh, we know that sports can be a difficult place for LGBT plus people, so we try and make a a, a space where people can feel welcome. And I think, and I understand that you, the team, I think were kind of consulted or involved in discussions, I think with the SIU around um, the decision on the new policy. I know they, they kind of yes. were speaking to, to Leap as well. So how do, I mean, how does that kind of work? Do they kind of come to you and say, we'd like your views on it? Or is it a kind of, we're thinking of doing this, what do you think? So, um, yeah, so there was a, there was a consultation process with um, ourselves and other IGR. So um there's four, five IGR clubs, so that's international gay rugby clubs uh, within Scotland. There's us, Glasgow Raptors, Avenue Tax Alley, Dunfermline Knights and the Inverness Picks, um, and then a couple of non-LGBT inclusive clubs, but that do a lot of LGBT inclusive work. So uh, Musselboro Rugby Club um, were involved in the consultation as well. We obviously have relationships with Scottish Union, uh, Scottish Rugby Union already through um, just being part of league, uh, looking at how do we make the, the game a friendlier place so they approached us uh, and kind of said, look, we want to talk to the people who this is going to affect or people who are part of the communities that that this is going to affect to make sure that we're making um, a decision where all uh, voices are heard and all uh, different kind of perspectives on this are heard. So got to skive off work for a morning, uh, went along to Murrayfield for a meeting, which felt pretty cool. Um, even if the uh, the decision didn't go the way we wanted, there there was a there was a good consultation process with us. Um, then even you know after those initial meetings, the conversations carried on. Uh, we shared some research and some evidence with Scottish rugby about LGBT plus, particularly about uh, the inclusion of trans people in sports um, and the the kind of health benefits, the 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 risks that it runs for people if they they aren't included. Um, and then uh yeah kind of got a bit of a heads up that this was coming because we have trans male players and while there hasn't been an outright ban on trans male players there are new restrictions on new trans male players being able to play rugby um so we were given a heads up that this was coming out the next day so that our players would would be aware and would be blindsided when it all suddenly came so is that 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 kind of new rule? Because that that kind of I think that was a little bit of a surprise to it was a surprise to me that that was coming in because I think the argument certainly for those that have been advocating for the ban on transgender women has always been well, trans men can choose what they want to do. It's their choice to go and 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 take part in in men's rugby. Was that a surprise then that that what what they would call a safeguard had been put in place? I mean, I, I guess so. Uh, I don't think, so I think that the part of the problem is all of the conversation always focuses and centers on on trans women, trans men in, in all of these conversations, but inside and outside of rugby tend to be forgotten. They tend to be not included in the conversation. It becomes um, this, this issue of trans women. So it, it, I guess it was surprising given that, you know, the, the conversations were as well, that risk is taken. But then if we think about it from the context that the arguments that every union every union has made is that it's not just about fairness, it's about safety. And then if we're then saying it's about safety and we're then letting people potentially put themselves in harm's risk, what does that open unions up to? That would be a cynical position for me to take, that it's the unions safeguarding themselves more than safeguarding players. Um, but it's the only way I can kind of make it make sense in my head. Yeah. 
And I think, Johnny, the, the the really disappointing thing in this, and it was the you know, there's a statement obviously that that Thebans put out, and but also Leap in Scotland as well put out their statement that Scottish rugby accepts that this is not a science based decision, that 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 they accept that there isn't scientific evidence that backs up the the concerns that some people have raised about this, but have nevertheless gone ahead and and made that decision. Yeah, and. And listening to Sam, I'm a weird combination of like a bit heartened, but also even more saddened because it it sounds to me from what Sam's saying, like the SRU took this consultation really seriously. Like they spoke to a lot of people, like they took what Thebans were saying and what Klaus Muscle were saying, fully took it on board, accepted all the evidence and stuff and actually were, were at least showing like they were making a really big effort of of doing a proper consultation and and really thinking through the decision and then went ahead with a ban despite the fact that there is no scientific evidence and that I'd imagine that some of the stuff that, that clubs like Thebans presented was probably evidence to the contrary. So I'm a bit like, oh, that's really nice. The SRU have obviously, you know, they've brought everybody along to Murrayfield. They've done this big consultation. They've obviously, like, really want to look like they're doing the right thing here. That's 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 a great thing. I'm glad they've done that. And then <clears throat> they've taken everything on and they've gone, actually, we're going to just do it anyway, which is just even more disappointing, I think. I think that's a, that's a feeling that people who are involved in the consultation uh, would share with you that it kind of like, oh, this is really good. Um, they're having a conversation with us, people listening. And I, I have to like put my hands um, up and say, the people we spoke to were listening. Um, so the people who have the con- consultation with us were listening. So the, the fact that the decision did go um, that trans women were going to be banned from contact sports did kind of like, it felt like a little bit more of a kick in the teeth. Um, uh, particularly as you say, the the science that uh, is being used to to back up this decision I don't know how much swearing you allow on this podcast, but we're post. It's fine, Sam. Look, we're, we're post. We're post nine o'clock, and 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 I can allow you a swear because I, I can I'm, always be out in post. It's fine. I, I promise, I'll try not to swear, but it's it's a load of poop. Um, <laughs> you, you can't you can't compare um, you know elite track and field with some of this evidence that people were using comes from with um, grassroots rugby. Um, in fact. Uh, Speaking about science, uh, the Canadian Centre for Ethics in Sport, I don't know if you guys have seen this, they did a, a massive literature review which was released in the last couple of weeks, not kind of dissimilar time into the, to the gender participation policy, which categorically, set, categorically says, based on a, a 10-year span literature review, that there is no, um, no discernible advantage for uh, trans women in sports. So the evidence yeah. actually says it isn't. There was another bit of research. Is this the same bit of research or is this a different research uh, that a university, I'm trying to get the name of the university to get it right, but the, the university did into the actual decision that was taken by World Rugby. I think it was, I, did IGR commission that research to look at the way the decision was taken? And it's Sasha Aitchison, who we'll talk about her letter in a minute, uh, to the RFU mentioned this. And this was the one that, Kind of systematically pulls apart the kind of way world rugby went went through making the decision that it's based on essentially blog articles by one scientist rather than anything mm-hmm. that's particularly peer reviewed. It's based on um, input from 
organizations who have a particular I don't know if theological is the right kind of word. Philosophical. I suppose philosophical is probably the the more generous way of describing it. Philosophical opinion about transgender women um, and, and, and have very clearly expl- explained these views. And there, there wasn't, there wasn't in fact very much consultation other than amongst those people who have a very predisposed position to the issue. Ideological. Thank you. Someone suggesting that's 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 helpful, <laughs> and I think that 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 it, I don't think there's been. I only came across that one because of the the kind of open letter to the RFU this weekend, and also someone had happened to share, I think, a video at the Bingham Cup of of them talking about the research. And I think I hadn't really appreciated Johnny the kind of. I think we knew there was that the World Rugby decision was problematic at the time, but I hadn't kind of realised how problematic and what we should say is this this is we understand peer-reviewed research this isn't just something that someone's gone on a portfolio and started picking apart arguments someone's systematically looked at the decision-making process and it's a properly peer-reviewed process that they've gone through in 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 their research but that's i suppose it's we knew that it was problematic but to find out it's that problematic kind of raises a lot of questions yeah and i think this is something that's that's about to become quite obvious and and sort of even more to the fore is that there there is a lot of uh, properly researched peer-reviewed evidence coming out now with the the one from the Bingham Cup and with the Canadian Centre for Ethics one which have been done properly as proper academic literature reviews like Sam says um, properly researched properly peer-reviewed on one side and then on the other side, like you say, one guy. And this seems to be a problem that, that World Rugby have where, uh, how can I put this? They, they've, they've not been thorough in, their, in the process whereby they find the people who are going to do their research for them because they've picked the same person for two very different projects Mm. and there's some interesting stuff being said about whether that person's work has been properly peer-reviewed or not and I think World Rugby need to possibly examine the process by which they go and find the research that they're basing these massive decisions on. Yeah and I think the other thing the disappointing thing I suppose Sam was with that the initial World Rugby decision and again we we kind of understood from what had come out afterwards that there were people in the room there the, the were kind of transgender people in the room. Um, there were, I think, IGR were in the room, but they weren't allowed to partake in the discussion, whereas others were, which just seems wholly... Uh, it's kind of almost kind of maddening that we're, we're in the situation where we've got... Yes, Scott sure we've taken their time, but the decision stems from one that seems ho- wholly flawed. Yeah, like, I, I, so I, I don't think I'd quite realised until, um, until I read that letter on the weekend um from from Sasha Richardson just how uh exclusive the conversation had been um at that world rugby level where you know as you say people are allowed in the room but keep quiet or you'll you'll, you'll go stand outside um but yeah the, the, the fact that these decisions as you say they come from from world rugby and now they trickle down to every home union so you know WIU um RFU IRFU and now the SIU have all made this decision um, or come to this conclusion based on bad science, 
coming from bad faith actors um, with little or no kind of kind of strength to it or basis to it. It's it's all come from this really bad place, uh, as as Johnny said, kind of like based on the the, the back of the thoughts of, of of bloggers and influencers that have have managed to to push this ideology onto the sport, um, which is really disappointing. Yeah, I think that the Sasha for for those who don't know, Sasha is just in as a is a former um, Red Rose, a former England women national, who's written an open letter to um, the RFU CEO um, uh, Bill Bill Sweeney, um, Nigel Gillan, the RFU president, just talking about the impact that this ban has not not just on on trans women and, and now in Scotland trans men as well, but but on women in general and some of the messages it sends. Um, and she talks there about kind of body image and how it's kind of perceived how we had we had Alice on the podcast last time Johnny talking about that that it, it does send a it does send a certain if it's not backed by science then the message is if you don't look a certain way if you aren't a certain way then then you, are people suddenly going to start being questioned about this yeah and it's and that is that is a genuinely terrifying prospect because once it starts, then where does it stop? Where do you draw the line? And we spoke about this last time. And it just gives people, like Sam says, these bad faith actors, an opportunity to go, well, I don't think that's a women's rugby player. Like, what, what are you asking people to do in that situation? Like, that's that's just a really horrible road to be going down. And I have to say fair play to Ellis as well, because it both, in fact, both Ellis and Sasha, because what annoys me most about this discussion is that this whole thing's been hijacked by people that don't care about rugby and, and all they care about is bigotry and hate and putting down trans people. And um, by putting their head above the parapet on this, both Ellis and Sasha have had people on their social media calling them all sorts of stuff and just assuming that they're both trans and saying, how could you possibly do this? How could you... How could you uh, put women's rugby players in danger like this you're not a you're not a women's ally you're a horrible like trans invader and stuff and it's like it literally takes two seconds to look and see Sasha as a former women's international Ellis as a current women's international because of the rules that these people have demanded despite having no interest in rugby they couldn't be trans people because they can't be trans women and play for an international women's rugby team so People who have no idea about them are coming after them, saying really horrible things about them based on absolutely no evidence. And they've had, like, I spoke to Ellis last week and she was saying, do you know what, like, I'm glad I did it. And I'm, I'm just happy that, that these people are coming after me instead of coming after trans women for one afternoon. And it's like, yeah. that's what annoys me the most is that you, you know so little about rugby that you're telling a, a women's international that she can't be a woman and she's doing all these horrible things and putting women in danger. Like if, if you knew the slightest thing about rugby, you, you wouldn't even be starting that conversation. And it's these, like Sam says, these bad faith actors that have appeared, all are interested in is the bigotry and they've hijacked this conversation and it's having really serious effects on people. There was a, was there not a, so I messaged Ellis cause I just, um, I responded to one of her tweets. Um, and then this flurry of tweets came in across the day, uh, saying how we want to see women be hurt and uh, all of this stuff. And I 
reached out to her to apologize. And then I was, I was drawn, my attention was drawn to a retweet where a, a Twitter account which claimed to kind of celebrate women in sport. I had a very fun afternoon with them. Because <laughs> like, I did the same thing. Like, this is a really weird flex to come yeah. for a current. <laughs> a yeah, current uh, yeah, because their their bios like like highlighting elite women's rugby or something like that. Yeah, like, and uh, it's run wild. by a guy, and they they're pretending okay. to be a woman because and uh, this is a this is a theme that's that's coming. There are people involved in this argument who are being disingenuous for the clout. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I like an angle. I was saying the other day, it feels like being on back on Yahoo chat in the late nineties, the number of people that I've had in my <laughs> Twitter who are men pretending to be women. Yep. And which is hilarious by the way, because um so the weirdest thing about that, uh, the account that that like flexed on Ellis about all the LGBT people, and by the way, Ellis is a member of the LGBT community, uh, as well as a defender of trans women in rugby. And so it was just a generally all in all very weird thing. Um but I retweeted it and I and I said something about them that I can't say on the non-Patreon half of the, the podcast. You can we can you can bring that up later on, Johnny. I think yes. that, and, and this is the thing, and Sam and Craig, hello to Craig Manson. Hello, Craig. Hello, Craig's joined us. We'll, we'll get I'll, I'll get around to you in a minute, Craig. No, Sam, the other thing, because you were involved in the consultation, Sam, the other interesting thing is that there have been open letters, not just Sasha's uh, open letter, but I, I've seen other open letters from current international and club women club club rugby players speaking out against the ban. And, and it seems to be in that, you know, Sasha said in her letter that this, there is very little proportionate demand for the for for this ban from women rugby players it's coming from some it's coming from a very different place yeah it's like um this is one of the occasions where the call is not coming from inside the house like there's there's no conversation i've had with uh rugby players uh, you know male female anyone who's gone this is this is a huge issue we need to deal with this immediately this this pressure is external to the game and it's certainly external to um players or or, or, as johnny said anyone who actually has um a clue about what playing rugby entails um because yeah it's 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 wild and this is the other thing is that these 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 same accounts that are uh attacking the, the 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 players celebrating the decision they they then attack the women who are saying, actually, we want to speak out and say we support um, trans women playing rugby and then say, no, 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 you, you're, you're, you're too stupid. You obviously don't understand what's happening. So in their, their transphobia, they then also throw in a little bit of uh, misogyny as well, just to, just to lighten their load, apparently, because it's, it's not enough to, to hate on one group. We need to hate on all the groups of people. It's, it's, it's incredible. It- it comes back to the fact that, like you say, Cammy, no, it's not a big deal for anyone who's involved in rugby. Women rugby players haven't been asking for it. And even if we accepted the fallacy that trans women being allowed to play women's rugby is dangerous because they're bigger and faster and stronger, which we don't because there's evidence out there that says, actually, that's not the case. Even if we did accept that, if you speak to anyone who plays any rugby, 
that's part of rugby and you accept it you're always yeah. going to come up against people who are bigger and faster and stronger than you and if you and if you don't want to do that then rugby is maybe not for you so anyone who's playing is accepted the fact that they're going to come up against people who are bigger faster stronger than them even if we accepted that's a thing for trans women which the evidence shows it's not that's not a problem in rugby because it's just something that we deal with yeah it's it's and, completely yeah, but, unrelated but, but, to the actual but, game but it's the usual and and I'm, I'm aware we're not on the patreon side of things yet so i'll keep my uh language to myself um it's the usual um they're, they're putting out this it's about safety rubbish that is masking actually what they really want to see but they can't see it um and and that's that's where you know we see the usual um the people in rugby that it is affecting are the people who have been chasing women's teams out of their out of their rugby club etc um they're the they're the ones within rugby that have a problem with it and they say it's under safety grounds it's but also and i think we've talked about this before and if i'm repeating the, you know, what you've just talked about please tell me but what <clears throat> amazes me is the the fact that i'm you know i mentioned it uh, this is when we started talking about it when the english ban came in and you know i came on twitter and said something about it and oh, holy moses i was po- pulled apart by maybe it was women men masquerading as women to pull me apart but there was a lot of women pulling me apart that have, that a know nothing about that haven't been involved in the rugby side of things and don't know it and wanted to really pull me apart saying that i'm i'm trying to get more men into women's rugby and get rid of women's rugby and i'm thinking well hang on a minute that's the last thing i've I've done in my rugby career so i just find this this you know we have a we have a right to tell people what we think we have a right to Mm -hmm. stand up for everybody because for me rugby is everyone's game and i want to be in a situation where i can stand in my rugby club with anyone and um they can feel safe in my rugby club and i just find this this hysteria on you know we we should be the ones that are upset the people everyone who supports trans trans women in rugby should be the ones that should be upset and angry which we are but these are the people that are just jump you know jumping on bandwagons using you know masking what their their, their misogyny their sexism their their, their, their transphobia you know it, it's ridiculous and and i want to say i mean think we and we we covered this in the last one is that you know we yes we're, we're on this podcast we we, we everyone knows who listens to this podcast knows our position on this and, and will have done for the last few years where, where it's been a, a recurring issue. I don't, I don't mind people asking questions. I don't mind having a conversation about it with people who maybe aren't so sure and maybe are a little bit swayed. And I think there are those conversations to have. And I hope the kind of way that we've discussed this tonight is, is kind of helpful for people that might be in that position because, you know, sometimes changes in society or sudden perceived changes in society for an individual can feel quite strange and people will understandably have questions and it's right people should feel able to answer them i think that like craig said the disingenuous side of this has been we've taken the pole line that if someone starts referring to men playing rugby in this discussion is we just block people on twitter because they're not starting from the same position as we would be which is like okay let's have a discussion about transgender women partaking in rugby you don't there's no need to refer to 
a transgender woman as a man. So we can't start from that that point of having a conversation. I can have a conversation with someone who wants to understand a little bit more about why you'd have concerns about the ban or understand a little bit more about the science. That's fine. I'm happy with people asking the questions, but like you said, Craig, it's the kind of disingenuous stuff. And I think there are people, I think the majority of people are probably somewhere, the impression I get is probably somewhere leaning towards the position we have and just need kind of bringing over the line, but it's the, it's the other side of it. It's the kind of the minority that are making the most noise and it becomes, it, it becomes positioned as a war. And there are people in the middle, I guess, Craig, that, that are, well, there are people in the middle who are kind of caught in the crossfire and it's entirely unhelpful because it alienates them from a game that they love. Because even though we know people listen to this podcast, we, we, um, who are transgender, that even if they're not playing, that decision will make, will, will take, will make them feel more alienated from a sport that they love. Oh, you, you certainly ain't going to see people, you know, someone who's been rejected like this through rugby come in and support the local rugby club. Um, I would, I would hope they feel comfortable, you know, that they feel comfortable to come into their rugby club because their rugby club has accepted who they are and what uh, and 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 are, are are welcoming. But you know. It, we always pride ourselves. All the usual, you know, all the all the chest thumpers of oh the rugby, you know, um, rugby values, etc. We'll say you can go into any rugby club in any part of the world, walk in and have a pint with someone, and it's always welcoming. Well, it doesn't sound like it. Um, and I, I, I used to believe in rugby values. I was one of those guys that was, you know, my I can walk into any rugby. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm an old white male. Uh, and I can walk in. I, you know, I can do that. I want my rugby club to be open to anybody. I want, you know, uh, I want people to feel safe in my rugby club and come in. Because bottom line is, and this 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 maybe sounds really, um, uh, what's the word? Really off topic, but it's money behind the bar as well. You know, it's supporting your rugby club. These are the all these rugby clubs that are causing these problems, and and and, and I'm sure we'll talk about the. the the Liberty situation, they're, they're, they're the other ones that are quickly moaning about dwindling memberships and losing team members and this, that, and the other. We should be opening our arms to everybody, not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's, it builds your rugby club, you know? Yeah, and I think that's that's the interesting thing to me is that this has come on. This came, the, the announcement about the, the change in policy came ahead of Liberton Rugby Club disbanding their women's section and I say disbanding, I was casting them aside without a second thought. And then the women's team talking about their treatment at the hands of the club and of men in the club. And I think there is a thread between the change in policy and the way world rugby has dealt with transgender women and the way that the stories that have come out about the way that women are treated in Scottish rugby. And it's almost like, Johnny, that it's just, this is the... You know, essentially, it's men men trying to limit women's participation in a sport they've had control of since it was founded. Yeah, um, I don't think it's even a massively cynical position to take to say that it's a lot of stuff coming all at one time. And it's we have to say it's not just in Scotland; it's happening in Wales. Uh, the IRFU tried to get out ahead of it, but acted like we don't remember all the stuff that's happened to their 
international women's team the last couple of years. And, and also acted like the fact that they did, it wasn't a legal requirement to get up to 50% representation on the board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, they, they came out with this as, as if it was like some massive, like they're taking a big forward positive step. But yes, you're right. A, it's part of the legal requirement. And B, we all remember the photos from the Interpros two years ago where the women's teams were getting changed behind the bins. So, like, that's not going to go away just because you've kind of taken a, a step a bit forward. And it is exactly like you say. I think the problem in inverted commas is that. If you look at some big rugby media channels, if you look at, say, Robbie's channel, the Squidge channel, uh, and a lot of other channels around that, um, what people like Jess Hayden are doing, what people like uh, Sam Lovett on Instagram are doing, a lot of people have started saying, uh, if you want really exciting, fun rugby with none of the really problematic stuff, then women's rugby is the way to go. The Women's World Cup was incredible. It was so well supported. The games were amazing. There was thousands of people getting up at six o'clock in the morning to watch the games. They sold out Eden Park for a couple of games. And I think there's a lot of um, the traditional Blazers looking at that and thinking maybe their days are a bit numbered. And actually, it seems like they're trying to get out ahead of it and uh, put a stop to it rather than encourage it, which is just completely the wrong thing to do yeah craig craig and i i'm particularly interested in kind of speaking to you around this because you've you know you've coached a women's rugby play club at, uh, team at, at club level um which must have been challenging i'm not going to expect you to to kind of name names or or kind of list off your enemies kind of father ted style and start going on now for the you know. <laughs> but you know uh, that must have been a challenging experience to kind of uh, I mean, how how do you manage that kind of introduction of women's into and change the culture of a club to be more inclusive, where it's maybe been more focused on men's rugby? Um, for for me, and um, and Cordelia, my wife, because she was very much involved in it as well. Um, two things: um, representation. On the club's board, well, the club's board, or it was a, as with with uh, the Howard Fife, it was trustees getting onto the trustees. Um, second of all, never shutting up. Now, I don't mean you know I don't I I would love to be in a situation where um, you know a team should not fight for have to fight for every single um, you know a changing room fight for a you know. The right equipment to train with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but it was continually fighting, and 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 when I say fighting, it was it, fighting's the wrong word. Just saying, uh, no, that's not acceptable. And I've got to be, I've got to say, um, uh, along with many rugby clubs across Scotland, the the women's team were were and and still. Are looked at as less lesser than the senior men's team, um, and it continues continues to be that way um, across all of Scotland. I'm not picking on my team because I I, I, I love the Howard Fife. I've always loved the Howard Fife, but um, the the senior this whole thing about the senior men's team 
they're the ones who bring the money in. They're the ones who play the more serious rugby, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's across, that's across the board. That's not just, that's not at the how, you know, just at how that's everywhere. Um, to the point you don't get to play, nobody gets to play on the senior men's pitch because we don't want it all cut up. Well, hang on, you you know, there's, there's three, you've got three weeks in, until the next senior men's game at home. You know, why is that lovely piece of ground being kept there? Um, you know, it's going to have plenty of recovery time. So there's lots of different ways that, that these things happen. Now, I'm very lucky in two things. I don't shut up, and Cordelia is a force of nature as well. Um, and the how, after initial bumps in the road, became very accepting. And and we, because we could prove what we were doing and, and, and they saw swelling numbers uh, on, the, on the pitch, etc., and they saw training and... And so it got to a point where they started to realise that actually, here we go, we've actually got another stream of income to, to get it to its most basic level. But also you've got, um, you know, you've got representation because there is money comes from the SRU for having a, a women's team within within your setup as well. So you see all of these come, things coming. And eventually we got to a point where one day uh, the trustees came to us and said, "Oh, we noticed that you've not you've not had a new set of strips for a couple of years. Um, we're going to get you a new set of strips," and that was the first time we'd ever someone had come to us and said, "Right, you know, without any sort of badgering or anything, sort of sort of pushing on." So it's 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 really it's difficult, and you'll come across a lot a lot of barriers. But if you if you get the right people in charge within the club, it will start to change. But there's still people there that you know. Still, it's even though um, the How Harlequins play in National One, and um, several years ago the How Fife were playing in Midlands, you know they were still you know the How Harlequins were the more senior team because they were playing in a higher level league. Um, if you want to take it to a basic level like that, um, so it, it is. It, it's very, very difficult. Um, but if you can get the right people in charge and get the right people on board, um, but it shouldn't be a cajoling, putting arm around people, getting them, you know, getting them to see your point of view. It should be just a, you know, yeah, we've got a women's team. They're part of the senior setup, and that's the way it is. And and Sam, you'll have, I mean, obviously with Thebans, they play against other clubs in Scotland as well. And you know, I've I've been around loads of clubs in Scotland, and it. You think, and it strikes you that you know the, the people that make the clubs run actually actually genuinely run the clubs. The people that are serving the food, making, doing the fundraising, holding the buckets, taking the money on the gates, making sure the bars run, being you know club secretaries are predominantly women, and the you know it's the yeah the guys you got the guys on the committee propping up the bar. You got the guy the team propping up the bar. But the actual funder, the, the people that make the clubs run in Scotland, are, in my experience and what I've seen, are predominantly women. So it seems yeah. it seems mad. It seems mad that we've got a situation where, you know, you've got a, a report in the press this week from various women talking talking about this and talking about the experiences, saying, but they've been subject to very recent, and this isn't like historic stuff when back in the day, very recent, quite horrible sexism in rugby clubs in Scotland. I think, uh, you know, um, you mentioned earlier, I think that the, the, the scary thing is this isn't a Scottish problem. It's it's a rugby mm. problem because yeah. all of the unions are uh, now having uh, women come forward and say, well, actually, this happened here as well. This happened to us. This is the, 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 the scene. And I think, 
you know, you're absolutely right. We wouldn't get from A to B if it wasn't for our, our fixture secretary, who's a woman and actually keeps us um, all organized. But I think, you know, there's this, there, even in that, even in that, there's that idea of, you know, the, 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 the woman's got a job and is to make sure the man uh, is able to do what he does best, which is play rugby. Um, and that's, that in itself, you know, we kind of have to go, well, is, am I being problematic in, in thinking that and, and, and working in that way? For me, the biggest issue, well, the, the biggest thing that doesn't make any sense, and it, it's what Craig said, if we want to keep grassroots rugby alive, um, because, well, I can speak for, for our position in our league, it's been a struggle. The last, the last six months has been a struggle to get uh, games happening because teams are struggling to put sides together. But women's rugby seems to be going from strength to strength, and the women's rugby teams don't seem to be struggling. So if clubs want to survive and if grassroots rugby wants to survive, it needs to be looking at how do we actually bring more people, different bodies, different different uh, perspectives into the game. Otherwise, it's it's going to die on its backside um, because it's 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 happening already. Yeah, and and Johnny, I think that the frustrating thing in Scotland is, you know, we we had the the BBC documentary about what was happening in the WRU and the quite horrific stories about institutional sexism in the WRU and the CEO has stepped down and there's been you know the, the, a new CEO put in place in response to the Daily Mail article this week talking about women's experiences in Scotland the Scottish rugby response was we, we put a strategy in place in 2022 and it's like well yeah but you most of you have been here since what 2011 so yeah and and all of those women's case studies in that Daily Mail article uh, said when they spoke to the uh, to the SRU, the SRU uh, said, "Oh, here's the complaint procedure. Here's who you should complain to." Right now, maybe I'm just being like really hopeful and a bit like airy fairy. But see, if I was the You're person right, that's working not, the SRU that's not, that's and, and these complaints started coming in with that sort of regularity, I think I might be a bit proactive about it. And rather than just going, oh, I'll just I'll just send everyone the complaints procedure and I'll let the complaints person deal with it. I might possibly get to the point where I was going, why are all these women having this same experience? I think possibly we should go out and do something about this. But no, they just seem to have gone, yeah, they, that's how you complain. Don't worry about it. See you later. Did you, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I think, you know, like that idea of not dealing with the problem, like kick it into the long grass. Did you see the story that came out of Wales? It's, I'm, I'm Welsh, so that's why I keep talking about Wales. Uh, that came out of the WIE yesterday, that they've banned Delilah playing in the Principality yeah. Stadium yeah. and banned people singing it. And yes, you know, the, when you think about it, the lyrics of it are, uh, are horrible. But tell me that you're distracting from the actual problem of the institutional sexism and the experiences of women um, without actually telling me that you're distracting by going, oh, let's, let, let's, let's make everyone talk about the fact that we've banned the song rather than the awful way that women have been treated uh, yes, it, systematically in this game. It's the usual, it's the Boris Johnson throw a dead cat on the table uh, uh -huh. situation where it's like looking at a dead cat rather than, you know, uh, and uh, I think it, it's, I think the problem you have though is, and again, this is, you know, Scotland saying, though, they had, they had this, this strategy in place in two, 2022. Now I remember um, when Sheila, oh, I've forgotten Sheila's second name. She came over from, um, Scottish football um, and was in place to to build women's rugby within the Scotland 
set up and we were at meetings and, and we were just start, I think you know the Harlequins were just starting up at the same time and and it all seemed to go into place and then all of a sudden we found that speaking at these events and talking at these events nothing really happened with it because the people in control of the clubs didn't want women's rugby at the clubs and that's the it, the leadership has to come from from the top and for example, you can't turn around and say we've got a strategy in place, and it's terrible that that these women's teams um, are not get are not being looked after by their clubs and not feel, made feel, to feel welcome at the clubs when they're sending their senior men's men men's players to World Cups in first class, and they're sending their senior women's team to World Cups in, in coach class. Now, that's a very small small thing. Well, it's a fairly big thing, to be perfectly honest. If I was a Scotland international, but the SRU have to have to send a message properly. They can't turn around and say we're doing things. Yes, we're doing things, but then not do the things that they're, that they're, that are saying that they're wanting that, that they're doing. They have to send a message, and they have to they have to stand up and making it and and you know, like I, I saw an article as well that we're talking about. Uh, oh yes, you know, we were the first nation to have a female president. In the in, in the northern hemisphere, it's like well that's lovely yeah that's great but I, D is a fantastic player. I, 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 we D Bradbury um, uh, I've known D uh, since we started with the rugby and she's a great person. That's fantastic, but you still don't have professional women's contracts. You still have have uh, questionable questionable things going on within the Scotland women's camp. This is our. This is the halo effect. You've got these people up there that, that all the women in the in, in rugby in Scotland are looking to, and you're treating them abysmally. Abysmally. How then are you expecting the clubs to turn and go? Well, we could. We could. You know, they're basically saying you can treat your women abysmally as well within your rugby club. And it's just the SRU. Just need, well, we've talked about the SRU communications yeah. team. Need to well, sort yeah. out. While D was president is when they put out the Mother's Day tweet that said, thanks for cooking all the meals and washing all the kits and hope you have a great Mother's Day. <laughs> While they had, they, had a, they had a women president and they had a national league set up, they had an international team, and instead of taking the opportunity of their Mother's Day tweet, and this is SRU Communications once again, instead of taking the opportunity of, the, of a Mother's Day tweet to say... Uh, you know, very very proud of our international team. Very pleased to have a, a female president. Uh, hope all all the women who play rugby in Scotland are having a great Mother's Day. They said, uh, "Let's take a Mother's Day opportunity to thank everyone who makes the dinners and washes the kits." Like, make your words match your actions. It's not that difficult. How many stages of sign off does something like that go through before that tweet is sent? Mental. It goes through five stages of men signing off, Sam. I think that's probably <laughs> there it. Is. There it is. That's, that's what it is. Well, number yeah. one man has to take off his blazer. Uh, then the other man <laughs> has to get his get the pen from outside the, out, the inside pocket of his blazer, and then sign. And if he up. hasn't got his twenty five year old first fifteen club tie on, he's got to go and find that. Yeah, yeah. And then the someone Walmart has to invoice. Those. Someone has to send them an invoice for using SRU Inc. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is the thing is it does come down because even from a governance point of view, the focus of the clubs has been on why are we wasting money on Super Six? Why are we wasting money on, um, you know, on, on investing in American and French teams? You know, why aren't you spending more money on us as clubs? Which is that's a valid argument, but the argument hasn't been 
why aren't you investing in cl- women's rugby? And and when you look at those investments, that when it's fine for them to say we've got a strategy now, I don't have an issue with that. But the people in charge up to now and who have put that strategy in place have spent years investing in quite looking back on it, fairly frivolous things. I I, I define. I, I know you know we've got all glory fans that listen to this, but I can't see any tangible benefit of Stad Nikos, you know. Um, the all glory investment, or even to a certain extent, even the Super Six. I know COVID has hit. I mean, you know, there's been a few players that have maybe hit Glasgow and Edinburgh, but it, what's the point? All that money and all that waste of money that could have gone elsewhere, it just feels, I guess, Johnny, it feels too little too late for the current incumbents. And yes, things might not be as bad as, or as acute as they were in Wales, let's say, but it's the same issues. Yeah, and you know, it, it's like you say, it's not like this is a new administration that's come in and put this strategy in place. They they did it after a decade of being in charge because they had to. Like, are they, they, they trumpeted it after this Daily Mail report as if they were like, yeah, but look, we're, we're different. We've got this strategy. This is going to be amazing. Like, you're the people who oversaw all of this happening before you put that strategy in. It's a little bit different now uh, with Wales's new consultation that's just come out because Nigel Walker's basically come in this week and looked around and gone, yeah, this is not going to fly. So he's got, and he can lead on this brand new uh, policy that he's got. The SRU board and Mark Dodson and all of that lot, they cannot because uh, this is their mess. Yeah. They're, they're not new people coming in and putting in this new strategy and, and fixing everything. They've put the strategy in because they had to, because they oversaw 10 years of basically neglect of the women's game. And, and underneath all this, and, you know, that has been kind of raised again is the, you know, what happened with Siobhan Catigan and what continues to happen to her family who are looking for answers about the events that led up to her death and her treatment leading up to her death. And those questions still haven't been answered and there's been you know it's been revealed in the press that they've been seeking meetings with the SRU with their 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 local MSP and that's been cancelled at short notice twice we understand there's still you know walls being put up under the guise of this could add up in legal action so we're just going to lawyer up and not say anything whereas actually what you have is a family who are just looking for answers and to understand what happened and if 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 the what happened as the SRU said happened happened, then perhaps it's one of those things. But there's still so many questions unanswered and so many things left unaddressed. It just I think Sam is you know that the family said if that if that was a male player, we, we'd be it, it would be entirely different. I guess I guess the the horrible thing about it is I think if it's if it was a male player, it would be bigger headlines. And I think, you know, unless you're engaged with Scottish rugby in any way, shape or form, if you ask somebody on the street, do you know what happened? They probably wouldn't have a clue. I mean, as you said, it's because it's a, it happened to a female player. Um, whereas if this was a male player, it would probably be so much more of a scandal, or at least a much, a, a much more public scandal. Um, so is it within that there's the opportunity to just lawyer up and not say anything? Because actually, the general public aren't even aware that this is 
has, has happened unless they're, like I said, engaged in in the rugby world. But it feels it does feel like it's penetrating a little bit, Craig. It's you know, it is being picked up in the BBC, it has been picked up in other publications. I think people outside of certainly in the world of rugby, I think people outside of Scotland are, are starting to understand a bit of what happened. And I wonder the auto, you know, the eighth minute ovation that you know, people like Alan McDonald, who rendered the podcast, have organized during the autumn that built and that got picked up on the comms and it got mentioned on the TV comms. Now, the autumn tests are one thing, the the you know, six nations on the council telly is a different beast. And the eighth minute ovation is going ahead again. And if that builds the way it did during the autumn, then I don't think the SRU are going to be able to ignore it because the people that come to the rugby once a year are going to now know about it. Yeah. Um, this last week, um, uh, as you know, I'm in the car quite a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. And but even you know the BBC, the big BBC podcast, uh, Chris Jones was mentioning Siobhan, um, and also on the BBC Scotland Rugby podcast that was mentioned as well, especially the eight minute, eighth minute uh, uh, standing, you know, uh, ovation or. or, or um, cel- I, I prefer to call it a protest at the moment rather than a celebration. But I, I, mm-hmm. I understand everyone wants it. You know, I, I do want it to eventually become a celebration. But I think, as you say, I think the big thing, if you're a Scottish rugby fan who is fairly outraged of what's happening, uh, uh, we we must push on with the eighth minute ovation. We must push on to ensure that that the TV hear it. Uh, we must. <laughs> We must make sure that the people that are sitting in the comfy seats in the middle of the West Stand know exactly why we're standing and we're, and we're clapping. Um, uh, and it will please me a great deal at one at some point. And, and the SRU, I'll tell you, they could solve a lot of the problems. Not evident, and and they can never help. You know, never solve the problem of the families upset. But to have her picture up on the big screens. Um, uh, in Murrayfield during the Six Nations and just celebrate it rather than a, a, a last minute off the cuff tweet um, from mm. their um, from their their their, uh, their media centre. I think something like that in the middle of a you know at the beginning or you know of a of a Six Nations game would go a long way to at least make people under let let people know that they're, they're starting to understand. But the, this this whole you know, um, Siobhan's parents have been talking to them and trying to get meetings, and then all of a sudden, you know, they use, oh, we're going through a consultation process. Yeah, but the consultation process has been going on for over a year. You need to get this sorted out. And just yeah. as we talked about, if it was a man, that would have been done within six weeks. Yeah. You know? I'm going to leave it there for this week. Now, like I said... We we don't want to be here. We want to be. We want, this this is our traditional kind of spot for celebrating the Six Nations and talking about everything. But but this is where this is where we are with Scottish rugby at the moment and rugby in general. As Sam said, you know that there are issues, particularly in Wales, uh, but also Ireland as well. Um, so we are not going to stop talking about it. There probably will be more Six Nations chat during the uh, Six Na- as 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 the Six Nation tournament goes on. But we will be talking about these issues on a weekly basis. So people are welcome to join us for that. They're welcome to listen to other podcasts that may decide to conveniently ignore, you know, the wider issues in society and just decide to focus on memes. We like we like a bit of both. We like to mix in our memes with a bit of uh, a bit of serious talk about the issues as well. So 
that that is it for this week's podcast. There's some people, somebody in the comments has asked if we can link to some of the articles and journals and science around the debate with transgender um, players in rugby. Uh, we're happy to do that. I've got a couple of links. We'll pop on the blog. Comments will be closed. It's our platform that we, we don't want to invite the kind of um, comments that that, have, that appear elsewhere. We don't think that's fair for people who just want to read the blog in peace. Um, we want to keep it a nice safe space, but we will include a couple of links in there. If you want to go and shout into the void somewhere else, feel free to do it, but but we, we won't be opening comments up on the blog for that. For the moment, though, and Patreons, you can stay stay on because we'll be carrying on with the Patreon pod in a moment. For the moment, though, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Johnny, Johnny Sam and Craig. Bye, all. Bye, all. Bye.